This is the NROI Podcast, your source for factual information for USPSA and SCSA competition. This podcast is brought to you by the National Range Officers Institute, United States Practical Shooting Association, and Steel Challenge Shooting Association. Goal rule books can be found at uspsa.org slash rules, scsa.org slash rules, and on the USPSA and SCSA apps available in your Apple App Store and Google Play Store. All rates for this podcast are reserved. No portion of this podcast may be used or redistributed without written permission from the director of the National Range Officers Institute. Rules discussions on this podcast do not constitute an official ruling. The discussions on this podcast are meant to inform and educate. The only official rulings are published as per the bylaws of the United States Practical Shooting Association. Questions about rules should be emailed to rules at uspsa.org. This is episode 31, recorded late March 2023. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the NROI podcast. Uh, Joining me, as usual, is Jody Human. Good evening, Jody. Good evening. And our director, Troy McManus. Good evening, Troy. Hi, guys. All right. Well, we got a full agenda for the evening, and we'll start off with with an announcement, some good news. Um, And... uh, We've been kind of waiting to be able to bring this this information out to everybody, and there'll be more info coming on it. But Troy, you want to you know break the word on the on the calibration ammo? Sure. So we approached Ely at the Shot Show, uh, Ely Ammo, and they're one of our uh, certified ammo vendors. So they make a, a PCC 115 grain PCC minor load in nine millimeter uh, that unfortunately doesn't make minor out of a handgun right it's designed for pccs and it's it's actually noted that way on the on the web page so if you're looking for nine millimeter ammo uh, the pcc label boxes are not your choice if you're shooting a handgun but what it does do is make excellent calibration ammo out of a handgun because it runs in that 115 to 125 power factor range that the rule book says that you should have. So we approached Ely for, for remarketing and relabeling that particular load as official USPSA calibration ammo. So we've signed the contracts with them. They're going to start advertising it here in the next couple of days. I know Jake Martins has been in touch with them. So you will have a commercial source of official uh, USPSA calibration ammo and uh, hopefully, if you use it, we would like for you to give us some data back to make sure that it's working like it should across the country. But rather than having to hand load some or, or having some variability or not having any on hand at all, uh, you could buy a box of this from Ely for your club. And, I mean, there's 50 rounds in a box, so I doubt if you're going to shoot more than 50 calibration shots on any given month or or trimester or even you know a year's worth in most cases so uh you know if you think you're going to shoot a bunch of 100 rounds maybe but i think it's going to retail for around 22 dollars a box so for less than 50 bucks you could get 100 rounds of this and and have it on hand now we're going to use it at nationals and and obviously we're going to collect data on it as well but uh, i'm going to try to contact all of the sanctioned match uh, coordinators and see if they use any if they'll be willing to provide some information from Chronograph for us, so we can give that feedback back to Ely, and we can sort of track how that ammo is running. Uh, the other thing that they're going to do with it, and this was another offshoot of it, not making minor out of a out of a standard handgun, is they're going to rebrand it and market it um, as steel ch- official steel challenge ammunition. So, because steel challenge competitions don't require a power factor. It makes an excellent light nine millimeter load to shoot out of your centerfire handgun and still challenge. So, um, and even then, I mean, it's it's a good load out of a PCC as well, but it, it's also an excellent load out of your out of your handgun. So that's the announcement for the Ely ammo, and we're really looking forward to working with them. They've been been great to work with. Uh, took down all the details we needed and and worked something out. So it's been really good. Yeah, if you burn, uh, if you're doing 50 calibration shots at your monthly match, you need to spend some time and money on your steel. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot. We're teaching the ROs how to check it. Yeah, something. 
All right. And as I think we all expected and predicted, there's considerable confusion around limited optics and the start date. And we've had a torrent of uh, questions about that. And I even had somebody call me the other day going, I'm trying to upload the scores and it won't accept limited <laughs> optics. And it's like, well, it's because it isn't available yet. Um, so it's May 1st, folks. And it's not if you're you can shoot your limited optics gun today. You can shoot it April 30th, but it's open until May 1st. So um, and then uh, there was a question about. What was that the the traffic about area the level two and level three matches? Oh, about whether they have to offer them. Yeah, um, I think. Well, the way it's written is it's. I mean, right now we all we are already have a rule that says match directors. You know, matches don't have to offer all the divisions, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> but the way the minutes are written, it's like it's optional for level twos this year, and it'll be optional for nationals and area matches next year um i mean i know some matches um so the question was can it be at area three match or like an or an area match this year not area three but an area match um and the answer is yes some area match i know area one's gonna have it um whereas a sectional in may is not because they didn't plan for it they'd already planned the trophies and stuff um and it's well within their you know, their choice to do that. I mean, chances are no one's going to be classified by that time anyway. So. Yeah. I guarantee you somebody's going to show up at their April classifier match wanting to get classified though. Probably, but it won't happen. <laughs> right. They can yeah, get classified and open. Yeah. You could shoot or, it, yeah. but it's not going to, it's, it can't be accepted. <clears throat> Practice score won't be able to take it in. We won't be able to take it in until May the 1st. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Like I've been you told that it's in practice score already. But they right. weren't able to upload it, so yeah, well, it's, it's not. It's not Rick's not allowing it. <laughs> yeah. So we have to. They have to determine and try to test a few high hit factors on it, and um, figure that out. And then our system would take it. But uh, you know, if you shoot it, there was a guy that shot uh, that type of gun this weekend at a seminar I was in. But he realized he was shooting it open. Um, it was a nice setup. It was a SIG 226 or single action gun with a dot on the top and uh, yeah. looked like he shot it well. I think it's going to be a fun division, but it, it's not going to be available to May the 1st. And like you mentioned, it's optional for level two and level three um, for this year. And then in, in next year, it'll still be optional for level three matches as far as being able to be used for recognition. But like you said, no. No match has to recognize it anyway. So you can have a strictly single stack match, right? So mm-hmm. whatever. But it is coming, you know, just yeah. kind of hold your horses and, and wait because May 1st was the date the, the uh, board set and you're not going to be able to do anything with it until then. And also note that there is uh, the limited optics appendix with the board minutes. That's not the final appendix. Um, it has a lot of information kind of as a comparison to carry optics. Um, basically, if you want to know what the rules are, it takes the li- look at the limited appendix, eliminate anything to do with major power factor because it's all minor. It's going to be scored minor power factor only. And it has it requires a slide ride optic just like carry optics. Yep. And that's basically the difference. Right. Right. And then the other change coming sooner is uh the uh distinct was distinguished senior yes uh, uh which is for those those members that are 70 and older um that goes into effect uh april 1st so we're kind of got a rolling change you won't find that one in the rule book until we push the probably may 1st edition yeah. of the rule book um that's also why you aren't finding the rule one of the reasons you aren't finding the rule book available for uh, for sale on Amazon yet is because there's another version coming because the board is making, has been making more changes. So, um, so probably be, hopefully the May 1st is going to be the, the final rule book for the rest of this year. And that one will go for sale at, uh, at Amazon 
shortly. Yeah, apparently there's a, it's not like we can just give them a new file and they just start printing it the next day. They have a review process that takes weeks. I know Rick struck, went, had a lot of back and forth with them when we got them set up to print the first time. So that's why the March rule book is not available on Amazon. Um, yeah. So we are working on finalizing the new rule book files so Rick can start that process with them. And uh, so it's available May 1st. So yeah. be patient. You're stuck with the PDFs in the app for now. <laughs> well, and you can print it. And there's a we have a letter out there that you can get to take yeah. to the uh, you know FedEx office or wherever you want to have them you know, print it for you and bind it and all that. And that yeah. gives you permission to do that because some of those places will stop you because it's copyrighted um, and they'll stop you from reproducing it. But there's a letter that's available that will get, gives you permission to do that. So knock yourselves out if that's what you want to do. All righty. Um, then the next topic is something that I know we've, I've always talked about in classes. Um, and you know but it's it's apparently still a thing and people are still doing it and that is the ro's essentially influencing the competition you get you know a competitor leaves say they leave a target on you know unengaged and the ro will go if you're finished and really kind of give a hint that maybe there's something left to do and no <laughs> right <clears throat> So I, I want to call this segment of the podcast the, the just freaking stop segment. <laughs> right? Is this going to be a, 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 an every podcast event? Uh, maybe. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here's the actual quote that I pulled off of Facebook that led to this. And and I, I'm not going to say who it was or where it was, but. And and the person posting is actually saying that, you know, he got some pretty good help at this match, so kudos to them. But here's what he said. New shooters, listen to the RO. After your last shot, should he say, if you're finished, it's probably a good idea to take another look before you unload and show clear. So this is his lead sentence. This past weekend, I shot my first match. Here's a couple of takeaways I wanted to share from that experience. So not only – did this RO at this match basically do this guy a disservice because he's not going to get, well, hopefully he won't get that range command at higher level matches or maybe not any other match that he goes to in his area, right? In his local area. So you're not doing those people any favors. We have a rule in the book that says that at level one matches, competitors can get coached. It's up to the RO to allow it. There's no reason to not allow it because the rule book says you can do it. A lot of times we get the RO to safety coach new people through the through the stage. But this is not this is not that, right? This is basically coaching. This is assisting that competitor to do something that he ordinarily would have just missed or or left out. And we this is a com competition, right? We have rules, it's a competition. Um, so you can't give somebody an unfair advantage in that manner, right? Unless it's safety coaching or, like I said, at level one, you can have a coach. That coach could be anybody. I mean, think it could be a parent with one of their kids that are just starting shooting or something like that. Uh, the RO gives permission for them to coach them through, and then that happens. And that's okay, right? It's a structured kind of thing. But you as an RO should not be given that advantage to the competitor. So. You know, some of the other things we hear, oh, this is so close, I'm just going to give it to you when they're scoring a target. I mean, none of that is good for competition, right? Mm -hmm. One of my favorite quotes is from Pat Sajak, and somebody asked him, uh, well, you know, why didn't you give that lady the, the prize? Because her answer was really close. And his response was, you can't do close. Uh, if you, you got no game, if all you're doing is close, right? So it's, it's a competition. It's people want to win. They want to do it fairly and squarely. And we hear competitive equity, you know, spoken about a lot. And this is definitely influence that competitive equity that everybody's looking for. So just stop it, right? Quit giving people an advantage. Quit doing things that are outside of the rule book, quit ignoring the rules, you know, do everything under the USPSA rule book. Everybody's happy. 
just do it right. Yeah. And on the same vein is don't just make up rules and procedures and because you, you think we should ought to do it this way. And, right. Right. you know, it's, it, you, you know, you, you just know it just, no, it's when a competitor goes travels to a match, you know, they spend their time, their gas to go to a match. They expect a certain product, you sure. know, and it's, you know, it's going to be a different range and it's going to be different people and they might have some different, you know, stage design ideas that they've never seen before, but they expect all the rules and the procedures to be the freaking same. And sure. if you're just making stuff up and you're starting to ding people for it, guess what? They're not coming back. And then we get emails. Yeah. And I mean, it's not the fact that we get emails, but it's sort of the incredulous things that we get sometimes. Right. Right. So you have to understand that every competitor has their own make ready routine. So from the guy that takes 30 seconds, 45 seconds to take a couple of sight pictures, draw his gun, do whatever, load it to the guy that, uh, when you say make ready, pulls his gun out of the holster, loads it, puts it in the holster, gets in the start position, and he's ready to go inside of 10 or 15 seconds. It all kind of evens out in the end, right? And, I mean, we build that kind of stuff into a squad schedule anyway. So there's no reason to, to you know, set, tell somebody, oh, you got to do this or you got to do that, or it's it's just personal preference. You can't build your personal preference into the set of established rules that we have, right? I mean, if they're doing something outside the rules, sure. But if they're just, you know, standing there looking at the stage at first and, you know, some people don't want to get in the start position at first because maybe there's somebody still down range or whatever. I don't know why, but it's not against the rules, right? So unless they're doing something that violates the rule book or something that's really screwing stuff up, who cares? Let people get ready at their own pace. Right. Again, Absolutely. just stop. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. Okay. The next one doesn't fit in the just stop segment. So uh, we've talked about this one before. Um, and I know we've had, I think we've had a blog post on it. Uh, yeah. Battle belts. That one keeps coming up. And Jody, you're kind of our resident expert on battle belts. Cause I think you wrote the, I think you wrote the post about it. Do you want to take that one? Sure. Um, I think the most recent question we had was still about, well, doesn't it have to be through, doesn't it have to be through three belt loops um, at one time? Yes. USPSA required your belt holding the holster had to be through three belt loops. If you read the rules now, it says through belt loops or securely fixed at the waist. So what does securely fixed mean? Uh, you look up the definition in the appendix, and it basically says they need to be able to draw the gun or magazine without the belt moving, without needing a second, using their other hand. So basically, right. they got to be able to draw a gun without having to hold the holster down with their weak hand. Um, and um, so it doesn't have to be through belt loops. It just has to be securely fixed. The other question we get is about height of the uh, gun to the belt and where does the top of the belt because those battle belts usually have a smaller inner belt and then our cover the out, outside covering is usually wider um you need to be able to see that inner belt to if the inner belt is exposed that's the height the belt used for the height um because you can see it and you know the outside is just a sheath but if the, you can't see the inner belt and you just see that wide outer belt, then the height of the gun needs to be to the top of that belt. Right. It's basically the structural component. Yes. Because that, that outer covering is not, quote unquote, no. structural. No. So, um, and a lot of times also the battle belts also often those people also have thigh straps, which are not allowed Unless you are, it's your duty gear and your active, um, active duty military law enforcement with arrest powers, 
Um, and that is the duty gear. And that's only at level one with RM permission. But other than that, thigh straps are not allowed in USPSA competition rules. Right. Now, steel challenge, multi-gun, those are different. It doesn't matter. Um, but in competition rule matches, no thigh straps. All right. There was a there was a lady in my seminar this weekend that had a battle belt. But because the battle belt was at her true waist level, mm-hmm. she had an extended hanger on the on the holster. And then the gun was down where typically it would be if you were wearing it at where most people wear the their mm-hmm. belt kind of right at the top of their hips, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was way low. Didn't didn't match up with the thing, kind of too far away because the hanger was kind of out a little bit. And, you know, I told her about it. I mean, we were in class, so everybody needed to know about it. And, you know, she couldn't adjust it because of the way that it was that it was built. Right. Um, but, you know, I also told her that the rule book allows ladies to wear belts at hip level. Now, the battle belt won't fit at hip level, <laughs> but. You know, she could do something else or get a real belt or something. But if yeah. she picked that gun up to where it was legal, well, then it's the same problem that ladies used to have with wearing a belt at waist height where the gun is under their armpit, you know? Yep. Yeah. So, she, so she, she had the the old, the high waist jeans on. Yeah. Yes. And instead of the hip, the natural waist jeans on. Yeah. Well, yeah, she had so a high waist battle belt for sure. Yeah. Well, that's probably because that was if she didn't have through belt loops, that was the easiest place for it to stick foot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There used to be because. a gal up here in the Pacific Northwest that sold and and modified other pants. You know, other ladies' yeah. pants and sewed yeah. belt loops low uh, yeah, specifically for that. Yeah. And I mean, that's still in the rule book. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and we used you to know. see a lot of that back in the yeah. in the late 80s early 90s you know yeah and then yeah that style of jean is coming back yes it is right i will not wear him no way (laughs) everything old is new again the only good part about that is this generation is listening to good music so yeah Yeah. they're they're dialing up the 60s 70s and 80s rock and roll and that's fine with me (laughs) but all that yeah everything rolls around man i mean i've you know, when I was a kid, I, I had an uncle that I really liked and respected, hung out with a lot. And he told me that, you know, um, I was I was laughing at a pair of shoes he had that were these pointy toed black shoes. Right. <laughs> kind of 50 style. Yeah. And I said, man, where are those? And he said, they're going to come back. You watch. And yeah. sure enough, five years later, <laughs> everybody's wearing black pointy toed shoes. I was like, holy crap. So yep. everything comes around. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, you just wait, Jody. Petticoats, waistcoats, <laughs> corsets. It's all coming back. I will be a rebel. No, no. Well, there's certain, you know, parts of society where the corsets and all that are already prevalent. But I mean, yeah. I don't <laughs> think it's what you're talking about. No. No, you don't see those at matches very often. No. <laughs> I won't say you never do because then that would be a lie, but... I think uh, I think Jake Martins did a match that was uh, Blazing Saddles themed. Oh, oh, and outstanding! That. Yeah. One of the ladies came costumed as Lily von Stupp, <laughs> so she was in full Lily costume. So yeah, you might see it. Who knows? Well, yeah. you know, at SAS matches, you might see some of that. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. there was a match here in the region many many years ago, and. Um, that occurred, and it was it was an interesting match. <laughs> All right. Um, moving on, other belt related things. Um, we we keep getting questions about this now and then, usually because it's something that's happened at a match, and it's questions about you know moving magazine pouches, removing removing magazine pouches, um, well, from stage too. to stage to stage. And what was that, Jody? Moving to. So I got asked about this at an RO class I taught. And we're talking about going prone, you know, so with that, with, you know, a lot of the divisions, all all of them now, you can have your mag pouches on the front of your 
waist, right? And when you go prone, probably isn't the most comfortable, especially the, you know, race mag pouches like used for limited and open and stuff. And um, someone, person who was talking about was just like, oh, it's okay. You just ask the RM and they give you permission to remove them. And I'm like, ah. Yeah, not in the book. No, not so much. So 5253 was one of the rules we updated here in March. So um, it's always said, unless specified in the WSB or unless required by a range officer, the position of holsters and allied equipment on the belt must not be moved or changed by a competitor during a match. This is for competition rules. Um, we did add one more sentence that says removing holsters and allied equipment from the belt during the match will result in a zero score for the course of fire in which the violation occurred. So, um, I mean, now you can design a stage. Let's say it's a stage where the gun starts and the gun and mags all start on a table and it's, you ask them to go prone. You can say in the WSB, you can remove your belt and holster for this stage and people can remove it and that's perfectly fine. But what competitors can't do is go and modify their position of gear or remove gear if the WSB doesn't let them take off their belt. So, yeah. And it uh, shouldn't be an individual thing. It should no. be WSB blanket for the stage. The RM or MD really shouldn't be doing that. No. So just but. stop. <laughs> another one. I guess this is still a continuation of the just stop portion of this. Just freaking episode. stop it. Yeah, yeah. The order was wrong on our list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, I wasn't aware that Troy was actually going to christen the segment. Uh, um, now, however, like in multi-gun, you can reposition your stuff. Um, a lot of times people are um, changing the configuration in their gear, depending on how he- shotgun heavy a stage is. Right. Or right. how rifle heavy a stage. Sometimes you need more shell holders or whatnot. So that's different. But, yeah, that's what all that QLS and ELS stuff was was built right. for, the quick release right. stuff, so you can change stuff. And, yeah, multi-gun allows you to do that. But, I mean, yeah. you have to, right? It's practical. Yeah. So. Yep. You got to figure out how to carry all those shot shells. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get a big chest plate for it. Yeah. Yeah. Those are those have come out of, fa- are out of fashion now. Well, I think when Ipsic outlawed them. Yeah, Ipsic, yeah, doesn't yeah, outlaw them. So. kind of went away. But yeah, and you know, it's for those of us shooting revolver, hey, guess where all our speed loaders are living? It's right out front. Sure. And uh those uh those don't probably feel very good when you have to you no, they don't jump down into a prone position. No, they do not. Um yeah. and you know, you just you just you know, just suck it up and go because that's you know, it's you can't move them and that's where you want them for ninety nine percent of the rest of the match. So I do have to say during a two gun nationals, I shot it with my open gun and my open gun belt. I just threw a mag pouch on it for PCC. And there was a stage uh, where you ended prone with your PCC. And I was a bit worried about laying on my double alpha race holster pouches, but they ended up being okay. It wasn't too uncomfortable. Like I thought it was going to be, but I was worried about them. <laughs> Yep. So. Yeah, it's it's not fun, but it can be done. Um, I guess this stays in the just stop section of the of the, of the episode. Maybe that's just the name <laughs> of the episode. It's just stop. Um, and that's we 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 get questions, and and the the guy that asked this question, it was well meaning. He was just trying to bolster his own knowledge. But he had been at a match that was not a USPSA match, but they were using USPSA rules. And you hear that quite a bit on the outlaw matches. Oh, you know, it's it's our scoring, but USPSA safety rules. Well, just stop. Yeah. Or it's it's uh, outlaw divisions, but with USPSA rules. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. That's another problem. So those rules are, I mean, they belong to us, right? They're our intellectual property. They're copyrighted. Um, you know, if you're not going to run a USPSA match, we don't really, we don't really care, right? You kind of do what you want. People have been doing it forever. There's outlaw steel, right? And I don't really like the term outlaw. 
Um, it's just a different discipline, right? But a lot of them tend to use our safety rules, and then we get all that we get those rules conflated with whatever other rules they were using, and then we end up getting questions, and you got to go well. What match was this? Where were you? Was it a USPSA match? And they're like, no, but but they were using your rules, you know. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it, it sort of violates a couple of things to do it that way, and it's it's not really kosher. I mean, we can't really control people doing it all the time, but it's really not the right thing to do either. I mean, you know, you want to have your own kind of match style, then make up your own rules. All right. So, well, and I got to wonder if some of that isn't what leads to some of the weird rule drift that we see. And, you know, there are whole regions of the country where there's, there's behavior that is just, well, this is the way we do it. And it's like, and it's con, and a lot of times it's contrary to the rules. And, but it's just, no, it's just the way we do it. And like, no, that's not what the rule book says you need to do. It's, it's taken the, I mean, I've had people from the so-called outlaw multi-gun uh, disciplines, right, say that, well, you know, so-and-so's uh, multi-gun matches uh, or three-gun match, their rule book's only six pages long. And <laughs> so I said, oh, send me a copy. So there's six pages of procedural and operational things. And then there's a pay, a line at the bottom that says all USPSA safety rules apply. <laughs> yep. So yeah, your, your rule book is six pages long because you're going back to the 80 or so pages of ours that we have, you know, safety rules and stuff in. So yeah, I'm, I can write a six page rule book if that's what I want to say, but you know, you're still basically usurping the, the whole USPSA thing the brand and throwing it into your, you know, so-called outlaw match. Mm-hmm. So we try to learn from the, from some of the multi-gun and three-gun people to try to make USPSA multi-gun more palatable, I guess, for people that do that. But I mean, there's some things that we're just not going to compromise on and it's safety related stuff. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Just, just stop doing it. I mean, Run your own match. Have fun. We're good with it. I've been to some of those, and, and they're okay. But I didn't go there expecting a USPSA match, you know. Yeah, I've been to one of those that scared the hell out of me. But Well, and that goes back to what we said at the beginning of this thing is, is you want – if you go to a USPSA match anywhere in the country, you expect that consistency and that rule book to be in place and, and for those things to – to be what you know are running the match or what are governing the match, right? Uh, stage design yeah. and all that other stuff, notwithstanding. But I mean, that's a consistency thing. And I mean, if if I leave here in South Louisiana and go to Maine, I would expect to participate in a USPSA match that's being run under USPSA rules. Yep. So, yeah. And get some lobster. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say they they might talk funny, but you know that's that's okay. They got they got lobster. I got to give hi Lee. Lee, Yeah, I got to give Lee a shout out because I was in uh, New Hampshire for the Sig thing, but it's not very far away from Maine, right? And so I went up to uh, oh crud, always blank out on the name. Right across the border, got some lobster. So I I emailed uh, I emailed Lee and I said, well, I did this class in New Hampshire, but I got some Maine uh, some lobster in Maine. He was like, well, it's always good to get it on its home turf, he said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my. And lobster. Oh, I could use a lobster. That'd be good. Um, And then uh, these are starting to crop up again. We're starting to get some more questions about it. I think some of it's because shooting season is back upon us. And uh, we're actually having shootable weather in most of the lower 48 anyway. Um, and, uh, so questions about, you know, how do we handle squibs? How do we handle doubling guns and so on? Uh, yeah, I had a couple questions about that. And I, I think people are confused because the rule book says that clearing a squib on the clock is a DQ. But what that is, is if the competitor 
tries to clear a squib on the clock inside of their two minute, you know, malfunction allowance, then yes, that is a disqualification. But if you, if you as the range officer stop the stage, right? You issue the stop command, unload and show clear, make sure the gun is unloaded. Uh, use your zip tie from the muzzle in, I mean, from the chamber end out and check it, right? So you're not sweeping yourself or anything. You're not looking like you're doing anything unsafe and determine there's a bullet in the barrel. You can stand right there on the stage. And I know several experienced range masters that will do it that way and clear that gun, right? You can hammer the squib out. You can do whatever, take it apart, whatever you need to do. And you can do that right there so that it's a supervised function. So, Bottom line is, if the RO is supervising it, then you're good, right? But you just can't whip your squib rod out of your pocket. Um, I had a guy show me the windlass off of his uh, tourniquet, right? Mm-hmm. It's piece. Of, it was a brass windlass, and he's like, "I'll use this." <laughs> no, well, you won't. You can't just whip that out and use it, right? So as long as it's a supervised operation, you're good, and and clearing them. I mean, you can you can determine that there is a bullet in the barrel, but you also have determined that there's nothing in the chamber. There's no magazine in there. You can send them to a safe area and let them clear it there because um, all they're going to be doing is pounding a bullet out of the barrel. Uh, you always should notify your range master that, you know, there's a guy here. He had a squib. He's over there clearing it so that the RM is aware of it. Yep. Because if he has a second one, then, you know, we got to deal with that in a different manner. So. Uh, yeah, and usually and if somebody's can, yeah, yeah, usually if somebody's pounding a bullet out, right? Um, whether I'm the RM or the CRO, I tell them when you get that out, come show it to me so I know that it's exactly. Out. Yeah, you want to verify that it's clear. Um, I did have somebody say that uh, they had a guy at his match with a squib, and he went to the safe area and cleared it, and then the CRO wouldn't let him use that gun either. Right? And I'm like, well, what was wrong with it? And he said, well, I don't know, you know, uh, he was afraid it might double or something like that. I was like, squibs don't typically cause a doubling gun. It's a whole different thing, but they're not really related. Um, you know, he said, well, maybe he thought it damaged the barrel. I said, oh, I, you know, you know, that, um, that usually shows up when the slide doesn't go back and forth anymore. Right. Yeah. Or so, accuracy goes to hell. Yeah. So I don't know what the CRO's issue was, but I, I guess the guy just swapped his gun out or whatever, and then he allowed him to compete. But if you get it clear, you're good to go. I mean, excuse me, been a long day. But, uh, yeah, if you get it clear, you're good to go. So no reason not to let them con- continue to compete with that gun. It's the ammo that we're concerned with, and it, the ammo actually creates an unsafe gun. So it's kind of a, a back-and-forth kind of thing. but. Uh, doubling guns, same thing. They they repair it or they replace it. Um, there's a couple of ways you can test for doubling that we don't need to get into here because you kind of got to see it to to understand it. But uh, as long as it's not doubling anymore, then the gun can be used. So, yeah, and usually, you know, I think the way we all teach it is usually when the, the gun doubles the first time, you kind of go. Ooh, was that a double? And then you really start listening. You usually call it the second time. Right. Um, because it, it's an infrequent enough occurrence. Most of us don't catch it the first time. We aren't sure. And we always teach our ROs, don't call stuff that you aren't sure about. And But, boy, when it does, it's the second time. And, and we have a, a good bit of video in the, in the level one class. I actually had that guy as a student in one of the last classes I taught last year um and uh you know it's it's two the first time and three the second time so it's it's getting progressively worse and and he gets stopped and everything's fine but um yeah and some some guns just do that because they're just super dirty um my limited gun will start doing things like that when it gets super dirty um so you know that's it's various things can cause it but uh yeah good times well you never know what i mean we have a a fair number of uh you know home gunsmiths right yep 
Have drum have Dremel will travel. Have Dremel will travel. Have <laughs> have beer in the fridge. We'll work with Dremel, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I bought a set of Arkansas stones. What do you do with those? Oh yeah, you use those to polish your your internals. Oh, cool. Right. <laughs> so I mean, you never know what somebody might have polished away inside the gun, oh, yeah. right? Right or wrong. Um, I mean, they make trigger job uh jigs, right? So yep. you can put your put your trigger works in there and stone it and polish it up a little bit, but you can go overboard with it as well. So yeah. you never know. I mean, and you know, people in class will say, what, well, what's the deal with the doubling gun? It's like, well, it, it's not inherently unsafe right there as long as he's controlling the shots, but a gun that's doubling is, has not enough metal there hitting something. Right. Mm-mm. And so eventually it could yep. go full auto. And typically what happens then is they don't control the muzzle rise and you it never want to have bullets leaving your range because you don't get them back. Right. Yep. yep. So that's the, that's the issue. And of course we don't want, we don't allow full auto operation in the, in the, in the sport. So, uh, it, there's a number of reasons why you don't want to have a gun that's doubling, but. Well, and it's not just handguns that'll do that. PCCs right. will double, ARs yeah. will double. Yeah, uh, but you got to remember PCCs, if they're bump fi- unassisted bump firing, yeah, it's not an unsafe gun. Right. And there's a lot of people that can bump them. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. As long as they don't have a, a bump mechanism or a, a binary trigger or something in them, then they're good. Yep. All right. Well, we already talked about the hard uh, books on Amazon, so that's all taken care of. Um, What else we got? That's the agenda that I had laid out. Well, let's remind everybody that the rule books did change on March the 1st, and there's some renumbering because I've gotten any number of exams, uh, not failures, but people saying, I put this rule in and it's the right rule and the exam says it's not, but that is exam was adjusted on March 1st as well. So now if you, if you forgot or didn't notice that the rules are changing and, and put that in and actually failed it, then one of us may take a look and say, yeah, this is the old rule. He, he got the rule, right? He, he got the answer, right? Cited an old rule. Probably give you credit for it, but, um, that exam is bottom line pass fail. So 85% is a pass. 84% is a fail. Uh, 98% or 100% is still a pass. So we can't go in there and, and give you your two points back because it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, report out that way, right? It says John Smith is a certified RO effective this date and expires this date. It doesn't say John Smith is a is a ninety nine percent on his test certified RO. Yeah, and I think so. the only people that see those scores are the RMIs. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So and Terry, and Terry, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like, I mean, and, and this isn't this isn't a slight on any of our ROs or anything, but it's you know, it's what do you call the guy that finishes last in his med school class? A doctor. 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 Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's C's the bottom line. Degrees. Yeah, it's a pass-fail thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I understand some people don't test well. I've had I've had people claim that on classifiers. It's like, man, I've seen you shoot matches, and you shoot like a master class shooter. Why are you still in C class? And they're like, well, I don't test well. Well, <laughs> you know, that's a classifier's sand in your shoes kind of thing but <laughs> um, but some people just don't i mean they don't test well and yep. and while they know the material and can do an excellent job practically then they don't test well so i get it i mean our goal is to get people certified and get you to pass the test uh, if we can do that uh, because you had some mispunctuation in the rules or like i said the rules just changed and you're dealing with an old uh, old book or an old downloaded version and that's the problem. Like one one five three is now uh used to be one one five four, then okay, we could probably give you credit for that. But uh, we try to get people certified. That's our goal. Um 
And again, it, it doesn't reflect on your, when you get your certificate or your patch or anything like that, it doesn't put your test grade on it. So uh, as long as you pass, you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Cause nobody's going to want that 85% patch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an 85%er. So, the 3%. Patch. Yeah. Everybody's going to want the 100 patches and nothing else. Yeah. All right. What else? Anything? I think that's about all I have. All right. Jody? Not anything I can think of right now. All righty. Well, if you want to see, if you're in Eastern Washington, Northern Idaho, Western Montana, and you want to see Jody and I in person, there's still seats available at the RO class at Fernand. Um, we've got a lot of classes out on the calendar. Um, go take a look. If you're looking for a seminar, uh, level two or level one seminars, there's a bunch of level one seminars. There's a few level two seminars. Um, still a couple seats left in, uh, Billings, Montana for the level two uh, that I'm doing out there at the end of April. Um, so there's, there's classes out there, folks. And if you don't find anything near you and you want one, well, you know, take the bull by the horns and, and stand up a class and uh, we'll get you an instructor and you can have a class. So, and that goes either for level one or level two. It doesn't matter. We're, we're, you know, have projector will travel as George used to say. So I think he probably still does. Um, so uh, yeah, we've got that uh, going on. Lots of classes this year. Um I haven't looked lately, but we must be up near 50 now. So, which is a good yeah. year. So, yeah, there's 23 scheduled that haven't happened yet. And I think we have about that many done. Yeah. Yeah. We've had, we've had a couple weekends with three and four classes on the same weekend. So, we're, yeah. Yeah. 22 we're, complete, 27 upcoming. So, yeah, Almost 49. <laughs> yeah. You can be class number 50. Get on there now. Yeah. <laughs> you don't win a prize, but yeah, we've been getting quite a few requests. So yeah, it's a good thing. I mean, it is. It's a great thing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's getting, there'll be a break here, like in the height of summer, because it's yeah. major match season. And then it's going to pick up again, you know, this fall. Right. And again, don't ask for a seminar two weeks from the day you put in the application. It's going to be hard to get an instructor to fill that. Um, we've got a lot of the instructors are already, you know, busy that weekend. Most of us try not to be out every weekend. Um, you know, those that have families and. Yeah, that. And also remember, we like to go to major matches and work them and shoot them too. So, yeah. and right. you know, if it's a nationals weekend, it might be hard to get an instructor. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Could be very hard. Even if it's an area weekend, um, you know, at every area match, at least some of the instructors are, are working or and or shooting that match. So it's going to cut down the availabilities. If you're trying to to maximize the possibilities of getting a class, you know, take a look at the match calendar, pick your weekends carefully, and you don't have to avoid your club match weekends for your classes. We can integrate the class right into your club match. If you're yep. willing to help work with us to help us do that. Yep. Um, and that actually is a pretty good experience. I just did one last weekend, uh, RO class with the class or with a match and it worked out well. Um, CRO classes. We, the CRO class can build the stages for your match the day before. Yep. So and we can make yeah. it happen. Yeah, we used to try. Yeah, we yeah. used to try and get people to schedule them off off of their match weekends. But oh gosh, what five, six, seven years ago, um, I did a test and I just used the local matches the you know to test out the students and gosh, it worked great and everybody had a lot more fun that way. So um, we've started doing a lot of that, and uh, so yep, um, we're going to need. You know, we're going to need squad space and they, you know, they need to be blank squads so we can just have class people in them. But if you want to do that, let us let the instructor know and we'll work with you and get it all figured out. But that is a possibility. So you don't have to avoid your match weekends. Um, 
if you don't want to. And, uh, but give us, a, you know, give us a month at least. And, uh, so the, you know, so we can figure out flights, uh, flights are getting harder to come by. Uh, people are traveling more, but I don't know that the airlines are putting on a lot more flights. Um, it's getting harder and harder to get to places. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, give us some time and help us work with you. Um, uh, and also when you put in your request, don't, you're going to be asked for a primary date and an alternate date. Don't put in the same date in both blanks. Um, you know, we, we really do need an alternate date, um, to give you the best possible chance of getting that class. So we've had to turn down a few classes already this year because they just gave us one date and it was a date when there was nobody available. So they had to do it again. And so, yeah, help us and we'll help you. Uh, that's, it's pretty easy. Um, so anyway, all right. So well, thanks. Go ahead. We already, we already mentioned his name once in, in kind of a, a slight fashion, but um, I talked to George Jones last week and he said that he didn't, you know, we were calling him out on the podcast a lot. So <laughs> hi, George. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as a reminder, we may have a prize if you send us a picture of George shooting PCC in a USPSA match. Right. <laughs> Pushing hard for that. I'm going to have to be careful when I see George in person next time. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> anyway. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Troy. Thanks, Jody. Uh, good to have you on here again. Thanks, everybody, for for uh, listening to the podcast. And again, if you've got rules questions or topics you want covered on the podcast, send those to rules at USPSA.org, and we'll get you an answer if an answer is required, or we'll discuss your topic as, as necessary. So um, and go out there and have some fun, and uh, we'll see you on the ranges. Bye, all. Bye. Bye.